Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. I thought of myself as a good cricketer, but it's really captaincy that brought that special shine or whatever in your eye that really just makes you, okay, the easiness, true element. Yeah. So I really enjoyed it. And it was a tough, tough thing to give up. That's so, so close to your heart and every day that you live it for the last six years or so. But I just felt like it was the right time to do it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lessons Learned with the Greats. I'm Shane Watson, and today I have the great pleasure to chat to and get amazing insights from a guy who carved out an incredible career across all formats of cricket. His tenacity was on show from the very first time I saw him, and since then, he's become one of the key pillars in every great team that he plays in. Faf Duplessis, thank you so much for joining my show. Thank you, Shane. I don't know what I call you on your official show. Is it Shane or is it Watto? Watto, no. Watto. Yeah, absolutely. Keep it relaxed. (laughs) That's it. Um, Faf has always been someone who looks like he's in complete control over every element of his game. So this really is going to be a fascinating episode. He was the first South African to score hundreds across all three formats. In his 255 games that he has played for South Africa so far, he has scored 2,200s, and listen to these incredible numbers. In his 143 one-day internationals that he has played at the moment, he scored over 5,500 runs at a phenomenal average of 47.5, and and to go with that, with an incredible strike rate of close to 89. Wow. (laughs) Okay. And to go with this, Faf is a phenomenal all-round fielder who has an impact on just about every game that he plays. Some of those outfield catches that you've taken leaves everyone with their jaw (laughs) wide open. You go, wow, how the hell does he do that? I'm going to be super honest here. This continues to be a lesson for everyone who sees someone from afar and makes a judgment and an assumption of them. So playing against you, Faf, for around six years, I always thought that he was was a bit bit stuck up as he had a bit of a swagger and was always incredibly well presented, immaculately presented. And then I play with him for CSK and he is seriously one of the most, you are seriously one of the most genuine people that I've ever met in my life. So thoughtful, caring and super impressive in every aspect of your life. So to everyone who's listening to this, and I've been a big um, culprit myself to just assess people, just be playing against them or seeing them from afar, that just because you see someone on TV or see them in the survival mode, which is from a cricketer's perspective, that's on the ground fighting for for your ego, for your country, that, and you're doing everything you, you can to win that battle, 
that doesn't mean whatsoever that that's how you are off the field. And that's the thing that I love about being able to play these T20 tournaments is I get to play with people who I've only ever played against in battle survival mode and then you get to know them off the field, which is a which is a beautiful thing. So for people who see people on the field and just go, yeah, that, that's how they are. Gosh, I'm not sure if I like him. He's a bit – I think he's a bit stuck up. Well, that's actually that's – just, that's just someone in survival mode and it's beautiful to have got to know you off the field. Well, first of all, um, that I'll take you with me everywhere I go for introductions <laughs> from now on. Um, hopefully one day in life after cricket, um, there'll be some public speaking for me and then I'll just, if it's okay with you, I'll just <laughs> do the introduction the Shane Watson way. Um, but yes, I'm very similar like you. I think all of us are guilty of judging um, the book by its cover um, and, and I've been on that, that other side so often, you know, you you do what you need to do to be the best you. Um, and for me, that is, um, you know, being of a bit of a peacock sometimes, you know, walking around with my chest out um, because that that confidence is what gets me to my performance. And, you know, there's a lot of players in today's game that are like that. You know, you look at someone like Virat Kohli and you think like, you know, he's, he's got so much emotion in him and he's all the time so emotional, but that's what he needs to be at his competitive best. Um, so like you, I've always um, played against players similarly and judged them, <laughs> yeah. um, especially against the Australian team. <laughs> especially me. <laughs> <laughs> and you do. I mean, the IPL has changed that for all of us. Mm. You, you play with some guys and you go, that actually, that guy's a really nice guy. Mm. And then the next time you play against him, it's just like not the same. It doesn't feel like mm. you can go – um, you know, chirp them or abuse them mm. because you've got respect for them. And that's yep. the beautiful thing about the IPL. It's changed it for all of us. Um, now when you go back and you play with other guys in your team, use it as a the South African cricket team and, and you come across all these guys that you play against all season long and they're like, why not, why not getting stuck into them? And it's <laughs> like, he's actually a really good guy. He's yep. a nice guy. So, uh, it's, it's changed the game for the better. Mm. I think, you know, making friendships off the field is fantastic. But thank you. Those are very kind words. It's um, very important to me um, to be a really good person. That's something that I've put a lot of time and effort and energy into to be um, someone that will be after cricket, mm-hmm. not remembered for the runs that I scored, but how I led um, the team, the pro tiers the last five or six years and the type of person that I was. So sure you've done an incredible job, mate, but it's not just, you know, people will remember you for your numbers because they're amazing. But as you said, like the legacy that you leave outside of, um, you know, what you're known for from the numbers perspective is so important. And that's something you've done incredibly well. Just, um, what you touched on there, one one part of the the beauty of the IPL, there's no question that that's brought that brought world cricket together. Up until you know 2008, when the IPL started, there was a lot of simmering tensions between countries and between players, especially. And the IPL was the thing that really broke those barriers down. And just with that, there are some players where you actually. I, I actually don't want to know off the field. I don't at times want to know that they're a really good bloke <laughs> because I've yeah. sort of they've helped get the best out of me when normally there's a bit of a battle on the field. And sometimes you're like, you know what? I don't want to know that yeah. he's a good bloke because that yeah, actually gets me up every time. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so there's positive and negatives to that. <laughs> yeah, but it's on that. I mean, I remember the, the 2011 World Cup um, was my first World Cup and it was also going to be my first IPL. So I joined literally after the World Cup was going to be um, my first IPL. Yeah. And um, we were playing in New Zealand in the quarterfinals. And before the the game, 
I was the guy that was sent to the press box. And, and I was old in age. In 20, I was 26 um, when I made my day before South Africa, but I was still very raw in international cricket. Um, but I knew in some way I knew my game, you know. So when I, when I was asked in the quarterfinal um, about the game, about me, like tell us a bit more if I'd five to proceed because I, I did well up until that game in the quarterfinal. So I just said something like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an inexperienced international cricketer, but I have traveled, uh, I've played in county cricket, I've played a lot of domestic cricket. So to a certain degree, I do know my own game. I'm very comfortable with my own game. I'm going to a World Cup quarterfinal tomorrow, but I'm sitting here knowing, you know, knowing myself as a player. So I'm confident going into the match, which I thought was a real good answer yep. from where I'm sitting. Uh, and the next day I walk in and, there's pressure on and New Zealand, as you know very well, when, when they have you under pressure, their whole team is like around you and buzzing and it's just great energy in the field. But then I ran AB out, like a 50-50 mm. run out. Yeah. And wow, their whole team just started unleashing abuse. Like I remember wait, I remember watching that game yeah, like and, yeah, like it was yesterday. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa, what's going on here? I feel yeah. like I'm in a nightclub and I'm it's gonna get um, it's I'm gonna get it on you with like someone's <laughs> gonna be in a massive fight. You know that feeling was yeah. about to go down. And Baz McCullum was behind me and he was he was telling me all sorts of things that I I didn't think was possible on a cricket field. <laughs> And I'm like, there's a mic there. Surely he's going to get done for, for you know, you, you can't say that on, on TV. And I'm like, I'm just going to leave him alone because he's going to get in trouble for that. Yeah. But in the meantime, everyone's like running up to me and like there's a bit of chest bumping and shoulder. Was it Carl Mills? He was 12th man and he ran on and sprayed you as Carl well. Carl Mills yeah. ran on, sprayed me and shoulder me. And I was That's like, right. no. Now I'm, and so then I was ready to get the gloves on and fight. Yeah. But anyway. Um, the reason why they abused me was like they were like, "Oh, you arrogant! You you only played two games. Look yeah. at you in the media, which is standard um, for international cricket. If a new guy comes yeah. into the circuit, anyway, fast forward two weeks later, um, I'm playing with uh, Scott Styrus and and someone else from the team. And Scott Styrus was terrible that day. Like he yeah. was just abusing me. I was like, "Ooh, I'm playing. I'm not saying a word to you in the IPL. <laughs> yeah. You on my crossed off list." Yeah, and then we were sitting there one night, myself, Albie Morkel, Scott Starris, and Brendan McCullum. Yeah, he yeah. was the other guy. And we're sitting there, and it's like this awkward silence because I haven't let anything go yet. Because like it was country against country, yeah. ego against ego, and now I'm supposed to just be friends. I was like, no, I'm not going to do. That. <laughs> so Albie Morkel was like, okay, guys, what are we going to do about this tension? So it was like this initial conversation. But that's what the IPL did. That's exactly yeah. what you're saying. We were forced into a team together. And then you walk away and you go, oh, Brendan McCullum, what a legend of a yeah, man. Yeah. And, and he told me afterwards, um, his, his old trick was he just used his spike and he used to scratch next to the mic while he chirped the batter. So all you could hear was <laughs> – And while he was scratching, he could say whatever you want. Clever technique. I never knew that. I wish I did instead of just yelling straight down <laughs> stump mic and getting in trouble. <laughs> Jeez, where are these little tips? Where are they? No, that's oh. what you could have done then. Oh. You would be well, I next, did it anyway and I just got You would be next trouble. to the batter just scratching next to the stump yeah, all the time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> wise. Very wise. I didn't realize. I knew Baz was wise, but that's very wise. That's very wise. Yeah. yeah. Nice. of the trade of a keeper. Yeah. <laughs> you played so many incredibly special innings throughout, throughout your career. Um, but one of the ones, or well, the one that stands out to me the most 
was your 110 not out of 376 balls on your test debut against the Aussies at the Adelaide Oval in 2012. I was there watching that game because I was getting trying to get my calf right or hammy or whatever it was at that time yeah. to play in the last test match. But for you to be able to do this at a time or at any time, let alone in your first test match, your powers of concentration and the skills to be able to do that as well, like it absolutely blew me away. Like someone had that much control over their game on test debut was absolutely phenomenal. What do you remember about that time? Yeah, it's strange because before that innings, I think the longest I've ever batted would have been like 200, 220 balls. So it's not okay. like I came into a match being a guy that just always batted long innings. As you know, I was the type of batter that if I, if I got 100, it would have been over 150 balls or 160 mm. balls. Um, but that day was obviously unique circumstances, my debut, us being in trouble. It was very clear for me what I needed to do. Um, so it was block the game out. I had no no other anything in my mind. It was just so clear and so simple to me that I was going to block the ball. Um, so I think that clarity uh, made it real simple for me in what I needed to do, whereas some of the other guys who maybe played a bit more – had a way of playing in test cricket. So they might be a bit more positive for them to be successful. So they mm. were like, in order for me to survive 100, 200, 300 balls, I need to play my own game. I need to play the way that I know how to be successful. And that's that's all obviously fine. That's a way to deal with it. But mine was very different. Mine was, I'm not going to even, I'm going to leave every single ball that's outside my stumps. Mm. If that ball's short, I'm confident on the short ball so I'll pull because if I if I duck or get my hands up then I'm just going to get into trouble and if it's on the stumps I'll play and it was as simple as that and that game plan was just super clear all the way through um, and it was only until day five tea time where I was like okay I'm a little bit I'm tired now I'm cramping and it was just a simple message um, that AB gave me that uh, you don't know how much this would mean for the people back home <laughs> watching this innings and it's a very simple message but it, I, I was the guy that was always getting up early in the mornings to watch the South African and Australian test matches so you get up at like one or two mm -hmm. in the morning you like make a bed in front of the front of the tv and you just watch cricket you know as a kid so my mind straight away went to that image and other kids other guys waking up and they watching me and they're like come on Faf, you can do that so that mm -hmm. was inspirational for me that moment and then I was like Okay, I can block for for another another few days, yeah. To be able to have that control over your game, as in to be able to uh, actually in your mind to have, you know, let the ball go if it's outside of stump and then just if it's short, I'm just going to pull it and then on the stumps, I'm just going to defend it. That's great to be able to have that game plan. But to be able to actually execute it, like I – that the reason why I'm in awe of that is because like for me, to be able to think that I could just shut down everything, I'd probably – I feel that I'd get out because I'd be like slightly off the ball. I'd, you know, my energy be back and I might get bowled or LB or I might just, I might nick one just being a little bit tentative at, at a ball outside of stump that, yeah. you know, that, that normally if I had intent to score that I'd have, you know, I'd be at the ball in a, in a better way. So to be able to have that control, that's a thing that I find fascinating and, that for me is like a complete game where you can dependent on dependent on the situation you can go from just defending for the like for your team for a day and not play a shot and then you know then you know score 100 off 
90 balls if you need to as well. And that's what absolutely, like, that blew me away. That was your first test. And I remember, like, it just, I was like, how's this guy got such control? Because I remember you batting with AB. And AB, obviously, the, you know, the, the power and the, um, the ability to score that he did, he did the same thing. Yeah, he was and, brilliant. Then. And I just found that absolutely fascinating because I personally, I didn't feel I could do that. Mm. I felt the only way for me to be able to um, stay in is being aggressive. Yeah. But to be able to shut down your game, like my game like that, I just – I couldn't do it. Yeah. No, he was – I remember AB specifically because he you, – you, we all know AB is this guy that can just turn it on mm. at any moment and it's so easy for him to score. But he was almost blocking full tosses mm. at one stage. Mm. And I think – I mean that that – that release that you have, that sacrifice we're going, today is not about runs for me. It's not about how much runs I'm going to score. I'm just here to make it as hard as possible for people to get me out. Mm. And then the funny thing with that comes an outcome and the outcome is runs. So you still mm. get runs by being super clear. Mm. But it is, I mean, it's not as simple as that. Obviously, if it was, then I would be able to do that a lot more um, further in my test career, which you you, you try and take some learning from that where you mm. go, okay, it's quite simple. If you have a clear game plan in test cricket, you can be successful. If you leave the ball well, if you play the ball straight, mm. and if you're good on the short ball, then you'll be successful. But then obviously teams work out what to do, where to bowl, how to put fielders. Um, and that's always the case with your first year in international cricket, as you would have seen a long time. Guys come in, do really well in their first season. You go, wow, this guy can play. Mm. But then teams get smarter. They mm. adapt. They 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 plan for exactly how to get you out and then you have to evolve again so I definitely try to use that technique further my career but then also my, I felt my game evolved you know initially when I started playing test cricket I was a guy that got nicked off quite a bit um, so I had to almost force myself to leave the offside out of my game for a bit Okay, um, and it's only you know three, two, three years ago that I really got control of the offside where I felt like I can cover drive the ball now. You know, I'm playing the ball a lot later than I would have done in the initial part of my um, test career. And, you know, um, South African conditions is, is quite tricky with, mm-hmm. with the ball nipping around there. So that's the beautiful thing about sport. And I had to evolve, the bowlers evolved, mm-hmm. and it, becomes, it just becomes better and better, and you have to keep making sure that you're improving. That's the constant sort of chase and the battle that you're, that you're having is knowing that you're trying to get better, but then – the bowlers and the way that, you know, the teams can try and work out and expose, you know, little chinks in your armory and then you've got to continue to evolve that. Yeah. And that's the that's the thing that's exciting as well in a way, even though you, you'd prefer it to be like you just dominate the whole time and no one really finds that chink, but that's just not how, how it works. Is, you know, they're playing against the best, best cricketers in the world. Exactly, and that's what's the beauty of international cricket, a top, top flight sport is when you go back to a level down, guys are not – able to execute on exactly where your weaknesses they might get two out of six balls mm. in the area that is a little bit uncomfortable to you but when you come to the best bowlers um in the world they know this is my plan to him and i'm going to land that ball 80 85 of the mm. time in an area that's uncomfortable for him and that's the challenge which is so great about uh, international mm. cricket and the top the top tier players competing against each other yeah that's for sure Faf, you've had so many incredible highlights throughout your career so far. Um, is there one that really stands out to you the most? Yeah, I've had that question a few times. That The debut is one that I would say as a memory is incredible. Um, but there, there is a pattern in, in, in highlights for me in my career. Um, and the pattern has always been when the chips are down 
I've played my best innings. Mm. And and that for me always comes to is always my answer, I think. You know, the obvious one is is that debut. But when when the team's in trouble or when I'm might be not in my best form and I get to the game and I just produce this innings that I didn't think was possible mm. in the build up to that game. And those there's about four or five knocks um which which has been like it's been purely mental. And I think that yeah. for me is to where I'm sitting back today. Um, that's a, a huge part of, or huge importance in the knocks that I played. Um, it also brings the best out of me. You know, initially when I, my test career was, was, I was performing really well because I was always like, um, you know, the consistent performer, the guy to rely on, you know, when the chips are down, this is the guy that I was going to. And then I really got confidence from that, mm-hmm. that confidence of that when we are in trouble, I'll be the best, I'll be the best performer in the team. But then the flip side is that is mentally when you are, 200 for two yeah. or 300 for two, then you walk in and you don't feel like the team's in, t- in trouble. Then you don't have that same mental superpower that you can mm. use. Um, so yeah, that's the, the great thing about the mind. You always got to keep, keep challenging itself. It's interesting to say that. Cause I know like even watching Steve Warfarth, you know, and, and idolizing him through, you know, throughout my early, since I was a kid, really, the one thing you saw with Steve War is when the chips were down, he like he dug in and scored runs just about every time. But then at times when the team was flying, <laughs> because it's a different it's a different mental, I suppose, intensity that that you have. And we'll yeah. definitely dig a lot deeper into this um, move um, throughout this podcast. But that's the that's the thing that I suppose we're always trying to chase is being able to have it when the chips are down for sure. Cause that's, you know, not, not everyone has that mental clarity, that mental toughness to be able to shut everything out. But then it's, it's chasing that when things are going okay as well for the team is when you can still find that intensity. Yeah. Um, yeah that's and that's what you guys trying to chase. I mean, I've, I've spoken to, which I'm looking forward to speak about in this podcast about a bit more about the mental stuff, but that is the, the great thing about that because as a player, uh, you always, you always go and look at it at the nets. How can I do it better? How can mm. I do that better? Or you speak to the coach, and l- like I knew, I knew that I had this thing in my in my in myself that when we were in trouble, I would come to the party, and mm. I think that's a, a big part of what they saw in me as a, as a leader and as a captain as well. That that I was the guy that was was going to stand up when it was tough, um, and that thing gave me so much confidence. But it's the tweaking of the other stuff. Then you. When you are in a good position, how then do you make sure you maximize your skill sets that you have so that you're still able to perform? And that's possibly where I could have been better, definitely, and making sure that in those moments I don't drop in my um, mental capacity or Mm. intensity or energy or performances just because the team is in a good position. So, yeah, if if I could speak to my younger version Mm. of myself back then, it would be to try and make that, that jump in the mind a bit better to get the best out of myself in every occasion, not just occasions when I was like, right, this is my, this is when I'm at my best and then I shine. Yeah. Yeah. That's the ultimate thing that we're always chasing. And <laughs> the, the beauty, I suppose the beauty of, well, the beauty of life in one way is going, is, is learning, is learning that, but you wish you could sort of implant that back into <laughs> when you Go when you're starting out, absolutely. But um, but that's what we're here for is to yeah. be able to impart the the knowledge for you know people who are starting out. Yeah. So no, it's yeah. beautiful. Uh, Faf, you are very much a student of the technical side of of batting, so I'm really excited to be able to dig into this right now. So from a batting perspective, was there one specific technical component that really stands out to you? 
that you developed. So from that moment on, you knew if you did this every time you went out to bat, you're a good chance of having a great day. Yeah, great question. Um, so for me, big, as you say, big student of, of the technical aspect of the game and I love talking technique. You know, some mm. players absolutely hate it. Mm. But for me, I just find it fascinating, <laughs> the different techniques, the different things that people focus on and the different language coaches use to try and make sure that they landed with players. Um, as a player, I'm always listening um, with the ear open when a coach is speaking to a player from a technical point of view because because I'm so technical, I try and make sure that I understand it in my own mind so that when that player doesn't get it, especially as captain, mm. when he doesn't get it because of the, the way that it comes, the language, um, the way that you coach technique, I try and articulate that in my technical brain and, and see or think how I can get that across to the player if he doesn't get it. Mm. Because there would be some players that put the, the the technique coaching of it is right. It's the right thing to say. But the the way that they're trying to communicate it across mm. to the batter, they don't relate to that part of the technique, you know. So a coach tells a batter, batter hit the ball later. Mm. And for some batters, they can just straight away go, bang, I'm mm. hitting the ball later. Okay, mm. I know that. Thanks, coach. Great advice. And then they go. But then – other guys go, I'm trying to hit the ball later, mm. but I'm not hitting it later. So how must I hit it later? Mm. Tell me what I need to do. Uh, and that's, once again, a different language, but it's also different for every batter. Mm. Um, you know, I always knew that I was a, a hands player. I had this extraordinary different technique, which almost every coach tried to coach out of me, <laughs> um, saying that my hands are too far apart. Mm. And I remember in my first season at Chennai, um, Steve Rickson, who was uh, he was an Australian coach, yeah, yeah, assistant coach for yeah, well, yeah, very, very big and and big name coach, um, successful coach. Him as well, he said to me like, um, "Your hands are so far apart, you're going to struggle to hit through the offside." And I said to him, "Well, actually, it's it's one of my strengths is to hit through the offside." He's like, "Nah, with that technique, I can see you strong through the leg side because you're very bottom grip, um, but you won't be able to maneuver." But for me, it's it's possible. Like mm. I, I found a way through the years to work with what I've got in my technique to get the best out of my technique. To change it to be like someone else mm. would have been the wrong thing for me to do. And mm. I think there lies a lot of power for coaching in these days mm. is that I think the coaching manual is becoming less and less important. It's about seeing what someone has mm. and then working with that to maximize their own unique way. You know, you, you're a you're a great bowler, so you know, like open chest to close on all of those things, mixed actions. Yeah. You can't just coach someone one way these days anymore. There's too many unique talents that are coming mm. through. Boomerah, I mean, when, whenever would a coach tell him to bowl like that when he was 10 years old and he's one of the best bowlers in the world right now? Malinga, yeah. great example. Yeah. Batters, Shivnarayan, Shandapool. There's so many different techniques out there. So I think it's really important that you try and see what the kid has and then try and work with what he has in that space. Um, but from a technique point of view, I always, now that I understand my game a little bit better, when you're younger, you, you talk a lot about technique, but you perhaps don't know what are the parts that is important for your technique to run smoothly, like you're mm. saying. Um, and I think for me, the one thing that stands out is my left shoulder um, when I bat. So that's for, so that's your your front shoulder. Front shoulder, yep. sorry, yep. yeah, front yep. shoulder. Is I find that 
um, when I open it up or when I lift it up too mm. soon, my whole body pulls my hands up because my hands are so wide apart. Mm. If I'm pulling out of the shot either open or up, mm. then it just pulls my whole shape completely mm. apart. So now um, when someone tells me hit the ball later, I've got to make sure that I hold my front sh- shoulder a bit later so that the ball mm. comes to me and then just allow it to play it. Um, so it's very unique, but that's just what I found in my own game. So when a coach comes to me now and he tells me, um, you know, hit the ball into the ground, I go, I'm trying, I'm really trying. But I, yeah. his message is right. But then I go, okay, here's what's important to me. Look at my left shoulder, my front mm-hmm. shoulder, and seeing if that's staying square on the whole time. Because if that's square and my hands is in a good position, then I will hit the ball later. But you'll only learn that through time and and that's the same thing with a mental game it's the you only really understand technique the older you get or your own technique better the older you get yeah the beginning of your career you're just playing on on talent um skill maybe good mindset now and then but you definitely learn more about yourself the older you get yeah there's two fascinating points that you've brought up there the first one is around coaches coaching people's natural ability out of them yeah which is happening and I'll say from Australian perspective that happens all the time it's yeah, like someone has yeah. to be a prototype technique for their for a batsman right they have to bat this way otherwise it's not right yeah. <laughs> batting is hand-eye coordination it's natural sort of hand-eye coordination hitting hitting a ball of course there's fundamentals that that are there to be able to be in place so you've got more chance of being consistent be able to hit the ball consistently but it's more so once you see what someone does and if, if they start to get out a certain way or you can see that there's one, a little deficiency, then you just like try and work, well, you do work with them to just try and reduce that deficiency they've got. Yeah. But you don't turn them, go, well, you have to bat this way and I'm going to work with you to coach you into batting like this. So that's really important is for these coaches not to coach a natural talent, allow them to be able to develop their natural talent and then work with it. Mm. If someone's from a bowling perspective, if someone's getting injured because of their technique, of course you've got to work with them and make adjustments. But if they're not, let them be. Mm. Let them work it through themselves of how to be able to get the best out of their natural way of doing something they've been doing since they're like three or four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had. Um, I remember when I was at school, and myself and Abby went to the same cl- same year, same school. Was when obviously Jock Cullis was was our best batter ever, mm. um, and they all of us tried to do his trigger because that mm. was was Jock Cullis. Mm. So the coach was like, "Let's let's work on this." So I had that same same trigger that 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 Jock had, and AB still has it till today. He does, yeah. Um, a little bit different, but that same back and across movement. But I was just like. I can't do this. Like mm. I'm a, I'm a, only a one, one foot trigger guy. I don't, I don't do the double trigger. So I'm, yeah. it's only my back leg. That's like a, it's a really small movement. Mm. It's not even back and across. It's more than anything else. It's just like almost I'm telling my body to get ready yep. um, for the ball. That's it. It's as simple as that. The smaller the movement, the better it is. But yep. that's the same thing. We use a great and you go, let's, this is the right trigger. Let's all trigger like this. And it wasn't it just only then it's it. In today's coaching, still, mm. it's the same. So, I mean, Steve Smith is an example. Mm. Where would you coach that technique now? And yeah. he's the world's best batsman. Yeah. So that's a gr- great uh, another case study of just coaching someone the perfect way. I would have liked to hear what Steve Smith would have said when he, about his coach, what they told him about his technique and different stance and different triggers because he must have 
been courageous in saying no. This is not what I'm what I'm all about. Well, well, I know I know uh, Smudge worked it out himself. Like he, I know the the trigger movement that he that he ended up having with that back and across. He initially never had that. Um, it wasn't until a test um, in Perth. I'm pretty sure it was against. I'm pretty sure it was against England, where he just. He started doing that in the nets and then he saw, wow, that works. I feel like I'm getting in a better position. I've got more time. So then he sort of implemented that in a test match and he got a hundred, right? And then, and I know from, from then on, he actually worked his technique out himself with his wife now feeding him balls on the bowling machine, not having any coach's influence at all and working out exactly what worked for him. Because in the end, this is what I believe is you are your best batting coach. As long as you've got – someone that you can talk to if you need a bit more advice or a bit a bit of help on something that you're just not exactly working out yourself. But you know your technique better than anyone. You know when something feels right and when it doesn't feel right. Even if it's slightly out. Something slightly yeah. just means that you're you're picking the ball up a little bit later or you're just a bit you're a bit rushed or you're hitting the ball slightly inside out. You know if it's something slightly out. And then if you've just got someone a counsel there, someone who can maybe just give you a little hint or whatever it is, but you know better than anyone. You've been using that technique since you're a little kid. Yeah. You know what feels right and what doesn't. So that's where it's working through. And it's just, again, it's what's what Steve did. Yeah. A ball after thousands of ball, just grading that. It doesn't matter whether it's textbook perfect or not. It's effective. Uh, and as long as you work that out yourself, that's the power. Yeah. I, I think of cricket coaches as being, uh, or call it batting coaches as being a mirror of, of yourself mm. and, and you talk about that you're your best coach yourself um, and that's exactly what it is. <clears throat> I find that the best batting, batting coaches can can use your technique and just show it back to you and communicate it mm. back to you and saying, I know you at your best. Mm. I know what you normally do. That's just a little bit off. But he's just showing you what you want to see. Mm. Like you know your technique. Yep. So you know what you're doing wrong, but you're trying to fix it. But some days it's just not there. Mm. And he goes, you know what? I'm just picking up the small thing that I know that you normally do better than this. And you're like, okay, thank you. That's all I needed to hear. And it's so easy and so simple. But yeah. I, it's like they just study they, – they, they have to study your technique first. Mm. <laughs> and when they do, they can just come to you by one thing saying it and you can fix it like that. So those are the, the real magicians of batting coaches. It's golden. That's what we, we – we need to continue to create those for people to be aware that that's exactly the best coach. Yep. That's the best batting coach and that's the best bowling coach. That's the coaches that are going to have the most impact consistently on producing the best cricketers that they possibly can, not turning someone into a prototype of what their coaching philosophies are on a specific skill. Yeah. Do you think that that changes with – when we, because we're speaking about us now – and people that understand themselves and the game really well. Do you think that's the same with levels below that? Where where, where does the, mm. the difference come? So if you say in our space of professional cricket, mm. we're probably 90-10 in our own coach versus 10%. How do you think it goes down in terms of skill level where the coach gives more importance? It's a great it, That's a great question because like I see with my son, Will, and how he's um, you know, developed even for over the last – 18 months really from not having any real interest in playing cricket apart from, you know, watching it because um, I was playing to now loving, loving it. Thanks to CSK's older team with with younger kids at his age last, last season playing cricket in the hallway. Yeah. Now he's obsessed. So I've been able to see like an evolution of what he's doing. 
And for me, even seeing him, what he does, there's just a couple of really simple fundamentals that are, for me, are important that as long as those fundamentals, like simple fundamentals are there, then do what you want. Because like I see the shots and that, that he's able to develop is what he watches on TV. <laughs> he's just mirroring what he watches, mm-hmm. right? More so than, because I can't, like you, you can't go, you can't really teach it. It's what they, it's what they see in their natural ability. Yeah. So like for me, the fundamentals are just not so much your, your grip in like whether you hold it high, whether you hold it low, whether your hands are spaced apart. It's more so just that your, your bat face is, is not too closed, not crazily closed. Like some batsmen, like Quinton de Cox, mm. got a closed bat face, right? Mm. Which is which is fine. That really works for him. But just for me, as a fundam- a simple fundamental to start with, is just having a slightly open, slightly open face. That's so not too closed. So you can just, from an early age, you feel like you can access all areas yeah. of the, of the yeah. ground. Yeah. And then as simple as your stance, making sure your stance is consistent, whatever it is, making sure that you're just in the same position every time that you go to face a ball. Yeah. And then, so. When it comes to that, it's just a couple of really, I think, I believe it's a couple of really simple fundamentals, but then it's the kid, let them go. <laughs> let the, yeah. let them work it out themselves. And then if they need to you know, work on their defense a little bit, then you can just drill that a little bit so they've got a bit of an understanding. But like the more that they'll do something, the more the more you'll get better in understanding yeah. what's going to work and what isn't. Yeah, so you'd say you'd stick with that process of, you the best coach yourself, yeah. no matter no matter how old, no matter what standard you play, and then just using advice from coaches to see how you can better that. Hundred percent, absolutely. And as a coaches again, I keep harping on it, but I just I see it's such a huge problem of coaches coaching natural talent out of out of cricketers because they have to be a certain prototype. And you again, you see the best players that have ever played; they've got their own unique way of doing it. Everyone's di- technique's slightly different. It's not like you see everyone looks identically mm. the same. Yeah. So that's where the coaches got to understand just to allow that to happen. Yeah. Instead of just potentially ruining someone because you've coached their natural talent out of them and then they just don't have that, you know, that natural skill, natural hand-eye coordination or that natural coordination to be able to bowl fast or be able to do something with the ball that, you know, most people can't do. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing that I f- – is an amazing point is what you talked about your front shoulder and how incre- integral that is to your batting technique. And I completely agree is for like, for me, if my front shoulder is up too high, it means my weight in my stance is, is slightly back. Okay. So it means that then for me to be able to get like power into my front, into my front leg. So then I can either push forward again or push back. I'm, my power's slightly out. So your efficiency of your movement is is slightly off, right? Because you've got to dip your shoulder yep. to get load into your front leg to then either push back or go go yep. forward again, right? Yeah. But then what you said about opening up your front side, because if you're opening up your front shoulder, it means that your bat swing is not going directly through the plane, down along the plane of the ball. Yeah. It's slightly on the inside. And it's amazing you say that because right now when we're doing this interview during the IPL – we had a practice game last night and something's just felt slightly off. Just miss hitting balls that I normally would hit. And I was just troubleshooting like, what is it? Is it my grip? Is it my, is it my back shoulder slightly open? Is it, um, is it I'm moving a little bit too late in my press? Is my, is my, like my pre-movement slightly across? All these different things I'm trying to work through. And then one ball, my front, I dip my front shoulder more in my stance. Yep. Bang. 
all of a sudden, I'm like, jeez. And then because my efficiency in movement, when, yeah. my, when I dip my front shoulder, I've got more power in my front side, yeah. which is my strength to push forward or push back. That is so and it, good. And it keeps my alignment down the line of the ball instead of – because what I was was I was slightly on – the outside line of the ball. I was miss hitting balls on the inside of my bat. I'm like, why is that happening? As because my front my front shoulder was opening up. And that is such a. I mean, <laughs> if you do, if you talk this now, a lot of people won't necessarily because it's super technical. Because the shoulder doesn't sound like a normal thing to talk about batting. You know, mm. it's normally like um, feet. Hands, mm. head, mm. like get your head to the ball, play the ball late, get your hands up, whatever, mm. or get your shoulder to the ball. But what I find fascinating about the shoulder, and you talk about that dip, mm. I've actually, um, I, I record myself with a batting coach on side-on view mm. that in my set of my hands, so I have this tap and then I have a set high, yeah. that my shoulders must just do yeah. A little bit of a dip. Yeah, a bit of a lean. Yeah. A lean with the with the lean with your front shoulder yes, down. Down. So yep. the front shoulder just it's not yep. a lot, it's not a big yeah. It's like ten degrees or fifteen degrees. Yep. I, don't, I don't know degrees that well, but it's like yep. a small dip where it's just off center. Yeah. And if it's like that, it just gets my hands in a little mm. bit of a higher position, which makes that little bit of a pause at the top where it just gets your, your bat ready to play. Yeah. Whereas the vice versa, if it's a little bit up, then the hands are a bit down. So mm. then you need to go up first before they can come down. So your whole rhythm is out. Yeah. And the same thing, I mean, I remember last year when we, because I've, I've been always fascinated about how well you play spinners of the back foot and hit them in the ground for okay. six. And I was like, I want to do it like Shane Watson. Like <laughs> he is the best in the business with that. I want to learn from him. So I go up to you and I ask you, how do you do that? And you talk about your hips, right? Yep. And because you, you get so much power from you yep. and you're so low. And I'm like, right, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try it because I feel like I can improve. I need to improve that shot to be a better version of myself yep. and the best guy in the business. So I'm going to ask you how you do it. And then I try it. And I'm like, why do I feel like I'm losing power? Because it's coming, like it's 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 like science, like science or a golf swing. Mm. They use their hips to get power. Baseball players use their hips. So why is my hips not giving me that extra power? And I and I struggled initially with getting consistency with it. But the reason why I was struggling is because I was trying to open up my hips. My left shoulder mm. was completely opening up mm. way way too early. And what's the most important part of my technique is yeah. my shoulder. So, yes, when I play that shot well now, my hips does open, but my shoulders stay square first. Yep. And now when I look at you and I understand it better, your shoulders stay in position and your hips goes. Andre yep. Russell, he's got this big shoulder that's staying square. Yep. His foot's like a yep. meter outside the stumps, mm. but his shoulder is locked and ready and down. Yeah. So his body is in a good position to load and to hit. Yeah. And that's – the, the unique thing about all our different techniques, yeah. I'm not going to be able to do it like Shane Watson. I'm going to try, but I'm going to fail. I need to find out what my own way of that is. And now yeah. practicing it in my own time through this lockdown period when it was nothing else to do than start with your technique from scratch, <laughs> yeah. I figured out that obviously the shoulder is really important, but my back leg, and that's another thing you do really well, is needs to be really low. Yeah. It needs to be bent close to the ground. And that's when I, when I look at you do it, you like super low when you play that shot. But what, what did that, that does, that bend, is it make sure that I don't get up? Mm. And that's once again, it comes from your shoulder. Yeah. So 
I've worked out that everything always has something to do with my front shoulder. Yep. But it's yeah, I love looking at different techniques and analyzing different ways of doing it because every single guy is so unique. Yeah, I agree, and that's a that's a beauty of being able to see, yeah see so many different yeah players to be able to see exactly what they you know what they do and what you talk about like Andre Russell like that it's it's more like a golf swing it's a coiling up of his, of his front shoulder um, and then yeah and then then a big uncoiling of his whole body um, and that's what yeah it's it's amazing, it's amazing yeah. yeah so that front shoulder is it's like it's so a lot of people probably don't realize how critical that that can be. Yeah, for for your technique, and it certainly is certainly is for me, yeah. and especially even with my my power hitting, if if my front shoulder's already sort of down, it's starting to in a coil, a semi coil position even before the ball's bowled, I'm, my movement's going to be more efficient and quicker instead of if my front shoulder's up, and then I start I've got a coil yeah, to sort of down first. it's yeah. it's it's longer, it's going to take longer because my shoulders then got to go down to then mm. come back up, mm. so um, it's all those little things that. You need those. You want to. You got to find those little things that mean you can move quicker. You can move more efficiently, so you feel like the exact same ball that you got more time. Yeah. Than than what you have if your your movements are slightly out. Yeah, and those great innings as you played when you were younger, you would have done that, but you wouldn't have known. Yeah. Of it, you would yeah. have just. I'm. I'm great. I'm a great player. That's what, what I do. Well. It's, yeah. it's what I'm doing. But it's only really when you when you go start going through bad patches or late in your career when you really understand your game, where you needed to figure out to get through it, mm. and that's when the important things comes up or out for you to make sure that okay, this is what it is, this is what it is. But I don't know anything about a left shoulder or yeah. <laughs> when I was 22. I mean, you just see the ball and hit the ball. But yeah. it's definitely if 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 you can understand it earlier, it will be better for your game. Absolutely, because then you can troubleshoot on the go, yeah. out in the middle to go. Okay, that's slightly out. Instead of sort of waiting until you later on in your career when then you have, have those skills. So if you can up, upskill yourself in why, why you do things, then while you're out in the middle, you can actually, you can troubleshoot that. So, you, you know, you can, you can get into innings and not get exposed and find that the perfect balance yeah. of, of where your game's at. Yeah. Um, instead of getting exposed, get out and then having to work in it, um, yeah, in the nets before yeah. the next game. Yeah. And how, and how for me is other, like in the middle of the innings, oh, it's not there today. Mm. How do you how how do you learn how to get it done yeah. quicker? That's yeah. that's an important skill to learn quicker yeah. in your career than later. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, you you are a great all round fielder in any position, taking over 160 catches in in your international career so far. So, from a catching perspective, was there one technical component that you worked on and developed? Um, so you knew from that moment on you're a good chance of catching most things that came your way. Yeah, I think f- the the most important thing for me with catching or fielding in general is is that you need to want to catch the ball. Mm. So, and it sounds very cliche, but it is as simple as that. Guys who want the ball to come to them um, go to the places where the ball goes mm. the most. You know, whether it's Test cricket in the slips or on the boundary in T Twenty cricket. If you want to the ball, if you want to make a play with a the ball, then you're already in a better mind frame than the guy that's going. Oh, don't come to me today. <laughs> Stay away from me today, yep. ball. So I think that's something that I've always been really lucky with. I always enjoyed fielding and, and not everyone enjoys fielding. Mm. So when I was young, I looked at John T. Rhodes and I wanted to be John T. Rhodes. I mm. wanted to dive around like him. I didn't even know like how many runs he scored. I don't know what his average was. Mm. I saw him bat like a little bit. He was a good batter, but 
I looked at his field and I was going, oh, I wanted to be John T. Rhodes. Mm. So I built a game that was built on him. You know, this guy that's running around, diving, taking great catches, running between the wickets, like this busy character. Um, so that was the first part of falling in love with fielding. Mm. Um, obviously, you need to be athletic. I think that that helps, you know, some it sort does. of… It does. Agility. Agility. <laughs> um, so I'm very blessed in that sense yeah. that I've, I've, I've got good genes. Um, I do train hard with it, mm. but I'm lucky that I can move quickly, fast twitch muscles. So that's another element of it. Mm. Um, and then as you as you… Once again, as you get a little bit older, you understand what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Um, so general fielding, catching the ball, high balls. Most important thing for me is to get to the ball quickly and be still. Yeah. Um, if you're moving around your head, your eyes, it's much mm-hmm. harder to catch the ball. So I actually um, have built in this ability into my catching style that at point of impact – I'm, I'm super still, but then I almost fall on the ground mm. or dive on the ground because mm-hmm. it makes me even more stiller. And it doesn't make sense because mm. how, how are you still when you're diving? You know, but for me, that is super still because my head is dead still. My mm. body might be moving, but my head is dead still in there. That's why 90% of the catches that you, you will see me take, if it's possible, yeah. I'll fall on the ground yeah. or I'll dive on the ground. Uh, if it's not, obviously, if there's a boundary rope or something like that, then it's different. But it makes my head still. It makes me feel like everything is moving less than when you're using your feet and your eyes are bouncing around mm. as you're running. So those are two really important things for outfield. Mm. Slip catching, I find, obviously, technique-based is very different. Some guys, hands there, some mm. guys, hands there. Some, But I find, for me, the most important thing is I need to be low. Because what I find that the times that I was catching at my best and the odd catch that I drop when I would when I would drop a catch is when I would have to go from up to down, mm. and then you react slow because your eyes are moving. Mm. Whereas if if I'm low, I feel like my eyes are on this ninety degree angle of it's dead still, and my body is in a position of it's, it can go anywhere quickly, and it's just reaction. Yeah. Um, so. I've got a, a like a routine against seam bowling where I put my hands on my knees, and as the ball gets delivered, I'll have like a little like a little squat where my hands is low and it's relaxed and soft. My arms are everything is relaxed. I'm not tensed, and then from there I just trust my eyes and my skill that I'll catch the ball. And when the spinner is bowling, I'll even go a little bit low with my hands on the ground mm. because on the ground because it's closer, as you know, to the to the batter, so you can't go down as quickly so it's easier to go up than it is to go down so for me yeah especially in slip slip feeling a little bit lower um, in your positioning um, makes it easier for me to catch the ball <laughs> brilliant insights okay i've got a couple of questions on that <laughs> okay the first one you're talking about outfield catching and how important it is to for your head to be still yeah and what you said there is make make round early so then your head's as still as it possibly can. Because if you're running flat, flat stick, it's hard for your head to be like eyes to be level yeah. and not being bounced around to be able to actually focus on the ball. And that's super important. And I know you said about you, um, you know, falling, you know, falling to the ground to be able to catch most catches, and you feel that that's a way to be able to keep your head still. But do you feel that that's a way that without having to, you sort of give with the ball? It's allowing yourself to give with the ball without, um, without your hands having to do it or other parts of your body to be able to do it. That's exactly. Be- it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. It's mm. my way of making myself soft mm. to brace for the ball mm. because I don't want to be tense. I don't want to be catch. Um, and uh, if you speak to someone like AB about it, his way is different. So he talks about 
as he runs, as he's about to take the catch, he wants to have one foot off the ground because that takes him from not bouncing around on his feet so his eyes are not moving. So always when he runs, he doesn't necessarily feel like me where I have to brace. Mm. He will run and as he gets close to the ball, he will have one of his legs in the air so that he's still on one leg, Mm. his head, his eyes are still. So that's his way of dealing with that bracing of impact. Mine Mm. is... Yeah, diving or falling or collapsing or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, I get uh, not abused by it, but I could take in uh, 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 the, the guys chirp me about it. A bit of heckling. Bit. Yeah, like you always <laughs> make the cat just look better than yeah. it is. Um, but that's my way of just keeping still. That's all. Yeah. And allowing the, um, the force yeah. to be able to give with it. Because, of course, catching is all about being able to have – um, absorption force. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. To be able to, so the ball doesn't bounce hard yeah. out of your hands. So that's fascinating. The, the second one is you talk about your um, position, the slips. And the, look, there's there's absolutely no question. One of the, I believe, one of the most important things to catching in the slips is keeping low, no doubt. Because if you have to go down, it's a, it's a slower movement. And again, your head's moving more. Whereas if you're low, then it's it's super easy to go up where it's really hard harder to go down. But so- that's a great point. But the thing that I'm fascinated about is with your hands. So you're saying that as you're the timing of when you have your hands on your knees to then when you let your hands sort of go out in front of you, uh, are you really conscious of your hands being really loose? Are they, are your hands together? Are they, are they on purpose? Like, are they apart for a reason? Um, the reason why I ask this is because for me, I feel that I'm really conscious about keeping my hands together. Yep. and having him out in front of me. Yep. So one, my hands are together, so I don't have to bring them together as the ball's nicked to me. Yep. But two, my hands are out, so then all I have to do is give with it. Yep. If I feel like my hands are on my knees or not far enough out and I have to go out to then give with the ball, mm-hmm. that's when I forget my timing slightly wrong, which happens in the slips because the ball comes faster mm-hmm. sometimes or slower, then like I'm actually, I might be going out of the ball when the ball hits my hands. Yeah. So yeah, is it, it's really a conscious sort of where your hands are and what they're doing as the ball's bowled. Yeah, um, definitely like you're saying, similar when I, it's probably just a little bit ahead, ahead of my eyes, so ahead of my yep. knees in terms of exactly what you're saying. It's that when I catch at my best, I'm catching the ball into my body, like next to my body because mm. I've given so much. Um, so that little bit that you set your hands just in front of your eyes yep. allows you that 20 centimetres of it just coming a bit closer. But I, I don't really have a, a preference on w- do I have my hands together or yep. apart. For me, it's just about um, getting them a bit lower and then trusting like yep. everything else. Like yep. I find if, if they're relaxed, if they're soft, mm-hmm. um, then most of the times it's pretty good. Yep. Yeah, because it's so instinctive and that's why you practice so hard because that's the thing. Slips catching – Especially more than more than most things, it's totally instinctive. You don't have to. You definitely don't have time to think. So you just you train it enough that you hope that your your movements, yeah. your instincts, yeah. make your hands go in the right in the right place where the ball's going. Yeah, and that's the great thing about practice because it it, it gives you those little important important cues of what's important for mm. catching. So it was only through doing a lot of practice that I was like, okay, I can feel. That when I'm a little bit lower, when, when I've just got that little bit of a, not a crouch, but I'm a little bit of a, a little bit lower down, my hands are relaxed, then my, my catching ratio is 100% all the time, every yeah. time. Yeah. Um, when I get a bit lazy, when I talk to someone else and I'm not concentrating on the ball and I'm just in between, that when I get that one that's low left, 
I just don't get to it as quick as possible. And I'm like, okay, why? Because you weren't as low as you should have been back on it. And then I catch all of them again. So yeah. that's the great thing with practice, batting, batting, mm. fielding, whatever, is what makes it special for you. How, what's yeah. your way of catching the ball at, at your best ratio? What's yeah. your best ratio for hitting, uh, you know, back foot over mid-wicket, um, <laughs> Shane Watson trademark. Um, and you figure it out. You do it repetitively and you go, ah, oh, there it is, there it is. Okay, now I know. So when I don't have it, I can fall back onto what I've practiced, yep. what I've figured out. And and with that, it is just there's a couple of core fundamentals. Like everyone's got their own way of doing it, but there's a couple of really core fundamentals like what we've, we've talked about. One is high catches. The key is getting your head, your eyes as, like still so you can actually like get your vision on the ball. Yeah. So – then obviously everyone's got their own way of being able to absorb the catch or, you know, and be able to take the catch. But the really simple break it down, the, one of the, the key fundamental is being able to get your head still so you can actually spot the ball. Yeah. So that's one really simple thing. And then how you do it is yeah. your own sort of thing. But the other one that is around, one, getting your hands out a little bit in front of you so you can then more so just give with the ball, but your body height low. Like the, again, that's a really simple fundamental that every every person that you talk to about catching, especially in slips, is about keeping your body height low. I'm, I'm, and keepers, well, keepers are exactly the same yeah. as well. Who yeah. you know they're they're on call all the time. Yeah. They need to be in the right position. Yeah. So here's a question for you. So when you're catching the ball, the high ball, what do you do? You, what do you try and do with your hands? Do you, because you know the old saying, get your hands above your eyes. Yeah. Is that something you focus on? So I'm focused on getting my hands up early. It's not above my eyes, no. Yeah. It's getting my hands up early because um, I, feel, I feel that the times where I see guys drop balls and when I drop balls is when my hands come up too late and the ball comes down quicker than you think and your hands are going up as the ball, as the ball yeah. actually hits your hands. Yeah, so your hands are rock hard. That's super interesting because that's what I find. Like for me, it's actually the opposite. So when when I'm practicing high balls, yep. I'm saying to myself, whatever that means to me, but keep yep. your hands low. So okay. I feel never like I'm telling myself to get my hands up. So I'm, yep. I, I think what I'm doing is I'm just letting the ball come to my hands, Okay, which is what you're saying. Yeah. But uh, the, the, the coaching technique of it is, is always for people when you hear them go, get your hands up higher. Um, get your hands yeah. up and like really, and I've never used that as a as yeah. a catching. Yeah, thing I don't think. Me. I don't, yeah. So when mm. I try and put my hands up, it's actually when I drop a catch. Mm. So now when when I'm like, okay, what do I do with my hands when I'm feeling like, oh, I'm I'm not feeling as great as I normally feel on the high ball. What am I doing? Okay, just focus on getting your hands a little bit lower and just watching the ball. So yeah, I literally catch it as late as possible. Yeah, even if sometimes I let it go as far as catching it on the ground. Yeah like a high ball where you could catch it by your eyes, but I keep letting it go and go and go and go. I think that's what you're talking about, bracing your body for yep. it. But it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you you think the same. Yeah, absolutely. Because like I know, you know, coaches say, Co- keep your hands up above your eyes, which I, no, it should be like, you should, <laughs> like if your hands are above your eyes, it's a, it's a, like it's hard to be able to, yeah. yeah, it's hard to be able to actually see the ball go into your hands. But for me, I've, I absolutely have found if I've got my hands ready early and again it's not high it's just ready early in position early it actually makes my head still yeah because my hands are up like i can't if you're running and you um yeah your eyes are moving around whereas if, if i'm running and i've got my hands out ready to catch it my head's automatically still. much stiller yeah 
So, um, so that's what you know. I found work for me. I haven't taken, you know, I, I'm not in the outfield yeah, all the time anymore. But that's what I found that's really it. works. And I see when guys drop it, drop the ball, and I'm guys. And I'm not going to just put fast yeah. bowlers in there because some yeah. fast bowlers yeah. have got amazing hands. But guys who don't catch as well and consistently well out in the fence. For me, a lot of the time is is the hands go up way too late, and the ball their hands are going up at yeah. the ball as the ball actually hits their hands. Yeah, so you're less chance of absorbing it unless they fall down, which they don't yeah. to be able to absorb it. Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. Okay, again, I love all this stuff. <laughs> okay, um, from a fitness perspective, you've always been incredibly fit. You're amazing running between wickets and the difference that makes in a game, um, and then always backing it up um, for you to be able to have such a huge impact in the field. So. What has your fitness regime looked like throughout your career? Um, once again, lucky that I've that I've got some genes as good on my side. So I think I have to say that you know that first and foremost. But I also do really spend a lot of time working on it. Um, so for me, it's changed um, over time. What uh, in the beginning, uh, everything I could do everything and, and anything all the time. But then I had uh, a stress fracture. I had a, a shoulder injury, a stress fracture in my back, sorry, a shoulder injury. I had a hip um, hip joint problem, and obviously just from all the cricket and all mm. the years of diving and diving and mm. diving, your body just – so then I had to look at, okay, how am I training, what am I doing? So something like my hip, for an example, um, I was told I need to stretch more, I need to stretch a lot so I can get everything uh, more range. Yeah. And I did that and I made it so much worse. And I went to go yeah. see the specialist and he told me that, no, don't stretch it. Like if your hip, um, your range is an issue, that, that um, constant irritating of the muscle mm. makes it flared up. So don't stretch it. Don't make it any angrier than it already is. So just leave it alone. So don't ever go past 90 degree stretches. Don't, because mm. I'd like stretch my, um, hip flexors, my glutes, my quads, everything. But I was just like, this is not getting better. Um, and I was like, okay, no more stretching. So I'm just going to leave this alone. And I, and the same thing with training. Like I would go on treadmill running and because you do a lot of treadmill running in sport, as you know, for fitness mm. tests or whatever. And I just really struggle. I'd get my back sore and my um, hip flexor would tighten up. And I was like, this, I don't know why, but I can't, I struggle with this. So I stopped basically stretching and any running that's not shuttle work. So I didn't do any two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight K running. I don't do any stretching. I just did gym work mm -hmm. and shuttle work. So that was me for about the last five or six years. I just do a lot of, you know, 20, 30 meter sprints, which is very cricket related mm -hmm. and gym work, which would be, upper body most of the time, some beach muscles. Of course, you've got to um, throw those in there. Yeah. And <laughs> They're important. Just making sure like what I need. So my shoulder, I kind of need to spend a bit of time on my rehab. So it became a little bit more about specific training. You know, I need to spend 30 minutes every time I go to the gym to work on the weak muscles, which which you know all mm. about as well. And it's boring, but it's you have to do it. You have to mm. make sure that you keep strengthening those muscles. But the, the great thing about uh, the last six months, Wado, has been the fact that my body for the first time has had a break <laughs> from playing cricket all the time. Mm. And like all of us, you know, initially we were like, well, what are we going to do? Like you have that anxiety of I can't play cricket, I can't practice. And it's just like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself into training. I'm gonna, uh, that's one thing I can control. I can control – I mean I can't 
necessarily go run now, but I'll be able to run soon because we were just in that first two-month lockdown. We couldn't go outside of our houses like most people couldn't either, but I had a little gym built. Um, not built, just some equipment in my in my garage that I put out there, and I just I ran in my driveway. Um, so I've, once again, I did the stuff that I can control. Um, and when I started being able to run, I started really slow. So I was mm. like, because I could, I always was hurting after three or four because my back. I, I, it's probably just the fact of playing too much cricket. Mm. That's the only reason I can think of. But then the trainer really bro- broke it down for me to start really slow. So like run a K, walk a K, run a K, walk a K. And I built that up. And yeah, the last four, three months has been amazing for me because I could train that for the first time. So I, mm. I really went all in with that. I, I ran a lot of 2K time trials, a lot of 5K time trials just to make sure that I get my time down, 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 the competitive nature that I have. Mm. And also, you know, a challenge to myself is people – that put you in the box that you know, 35, 36, you move. 39. The, yeah, exactly. You're moving towards the end of your yeah. career. I was like, nah, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to, once again, I can control my fitness. So mm. I want to make sure that I'm fitter now than I ever were, than I ever were. So it, get, it gave me great um, clarity and motivation for not being able to practice cricket at the time. You know? mm. So I had a real purpose in that in this last four months. So right now, yeah, I'm feeling really good um, about my body, feeling really fit. So, yeah, it's a long answer, but I feel like you have to put the time into it um, to get the rewards. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's a couple of fascinating parts out of uh, what, you're, what you're saying there. One is around turning into very cricket-specific fitness and shuttle runs and that sort of thing and how like how important that is because in the end you just got you do have to get your body used to doing what you need it to do um and so that's i think that well i know how important that has to be for everyone um because and especially and this ties into um the next thing is because when you're playing all the time you don't have really like you don't have a time to have a pre-season one even a pre-season to let your body recover and that's the thing that I've found the beauty of um, only playing ta- like certain tournaments over the last like four years. Like normally after the IPL, there's been like a three or four month break. And for the first couple of months, I won't run. I'll stay off my legs, um, even though you know I've had to stop bowling. But the the, the regeneration that it provides in your joints and all your different things is amazing. How you can just because you know what it's like when you're pushing it all the time, consistently. When you're playing international cricket, you're on the constant sort of treadmill of just trying to maintain whatever you can and and not allow it to break down. So, um, so the beauty of being able to have a bit of time for your body to regenerate and then work it back up slowly, like what you said, like to be able to start like just and have the time to be able to do. Let's just start with a one k. And then just let like let my body recover yeah, and gradually I've never build it up. Had time, you yeah. Know that I've, I've, or not never, but the last, you know, the last eight nine years of mm. playing cricket, three formats, you don't have that time. So, I think when you're playing domestic cricket, you play that six six or seven months, and you've got a break. Then there's a bit of off season, which you can really get your body strong again. Mm. But if you're playing all three formats, you don't have you don't have an off season, and yeah. I think. That's what this this break has been really special for. I think especially players that are have played a little bit. Mm. You know, it's just given them that that break from the game to get them fresh again, to get them charged up, um, and play for another three, four, five, six years. You yeah. know, however long they want to go for. 
Yeah, exactly. The other thing that you, you talked about is is not stretching, because of um, which is super interesting because what you talked to there is around your like your hip joint and that yeah. sort of thing. Because like for me, because I had soft tissue injuries, like my main issues, yes, I had stress fracture in my back, but that was all to do with um, my bowling technique really and what my body could absorb yeah. um, or my back could absorb. But when it came to like I had a lot of soft tissue injuries, like calf and hamstring injuries, and because I did so much gym work, um, because I wanted to bowl as fast as I could and get as big as strong to push the limit of how fast I could bowl. It meant that my muscles became, and my neural sort of component in my muscles became very restricted and tight. And because people used to say to me, don't, don't stretch. Like you, you don't want to be hypermobile. Don't stretch. I believe that's one of the, what, one of the reasons why I kept getting those, um, just little sort of niggles mm. all constantly mm. is because my muscles, was so super tight and anything, if something was slightly off, if like yeah. I slipped at the crease or whatever yeah. it is, then my muscles was under so yeah. much tension anyway. Yeah. Whereas for the last sort of five or six years, if not a bit longer, I've started yoga. Yeah. And I've found that to be incredibly powerful for my length of my muscles. Mm. Um, but when you talk about, especially even from a, from a joint perspective, everyone, like everyone's body's different mm. and that's where you got to work out for yourself. And, and you find out pretty quickly like what if something does work, if yoga, for me, yoga has been like a, gosh, a incredible thing that I wish if I started when I was 19 or 20, I believe my soft tissue injuries, I'd have had yeah. much less, Yeah. right? But if my body didn't like that, you've got to also realize that that's not going to work yeah. and not keep sort of aggravating something. Yeah. So I think the thing there is, is because it's it, it's not a norm, it's a, it's a injury that I have that's in my body from playing a lot. So it's- um almost like calcification of the joint. So it's just, mm. it's always flared up. Um, so obviously stretching, I think everything else is really mm. like I stretch my cars, my hammies, everything else. Okay. But in terms of this one specific thing, yep. the the advice was to stretch that and get that mm. because okay. it's always on tension. And and that I think, I don't, I don't think it was if it was the wrong advice because it might be the right advice for someone else. Mm. But what I found going through that process was that it was the wrong advice for me because it just made it worse because I would stretch it and then afterwards I would be like, I can't even walk on this. Yes. It's uncomfortable. Mm. But it, because you, you put strain on it, you make it more angry, you push through that range. You know, you get those stretches where it's uncomfortably sore, yeah. but you think that it's working. Yeah. No. Um, and it's just, it's just for my hip that I had to say, and I had to push back a little bit and say, listen, I'm not going to stretch this today because I, this is, I just want to trust this. My body is saying that this is actually work. Yeah. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physio. I, don't, I can't say anything, but I can feel by my, me not stretching, it's actually feeling better. Yeah. And then you go two, three months, three, a year, two years, and it's still, I haven't had an injury with it. So I'm like, it obviously works. You got to, but with other muscles now, of course, I do stretch. Yeah. Okay. I feel like if I don't stretch, I can't. Start playing a cricket game, like yeah. yeah, I have to spend twenty minutes stretching. Yeah, which is me. I've got to spend forty, like forty-five minutes doing my yoga before I go into a game, yeah. and then like I don't feel like I'm running on eggshells, which I used to. I feel yeah. like warm enough. I was like, oh, geez, something's about to go again. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, it's not a great feeling. <laughs> um, Faf, you led South Africa one hundred and fifteen times across all three formats. So from a leadership perspective, was there one time in particular that really stands out to you that didn't go to plan? I think it would be a wrong – because when you say what didn't go to plan, for me is like the 
the 2019 World Cup was an absolute disaster, okay. right? But it wasn't because of, oh, I don't think it was because of anything happen, happening off the field. It was mm. literally just we lost Dalstein. Mm. Rabada was, was tired from playing every game for two, three seasons. Yeah. We yeah. lost Lungi and we lost Norkia. And we went into the World Cup thinking that England, fast bowling, good pace attack, we have a chance with them. We went into the campaign a little bit low on runs, so we knew that our batting wasn't necessarily going to win us the World Cup, but we had this feeling that our bowling could win us the World Cup, and with Imran Tahir as well. Mm. And then, yeah, losing three injuries before the first game. Mm. And we're like, Ouch. no, man, what? How do we? And then you try and get everyone together and make sure, but the quality of the teams now, you know, it's always been like that international cricket. If you pull out three of your, of your, of your guns in any team, um, I mean, you take Boomer out of the Indian team now, mm. they're a different team. You mm. know, you take out whoever, um, Stark as mm. a white ball bowler. Mm. Um, so we were just, that That was, I think it was just more unlucky and more mm. than anything else. Leadership-wise, I think I, I was very lucky that by the time that I started captaining, I figured out um, I got to know myself really well um, because I was a little bit older. So once again, I was 20, maybe 28 when I started captaining the T20 side and I think 30, I'm not sure how many, I think five years or five or six years I captained. Um, started T20, then one days, and then the last three years of test or whatever. But I think that's really important is, is figuring out who you are mm. and not trying to be someone else. So I was very comfortable in that, that I was like, this is, kind of leader that I would like to be because it's true to who I am as a person. Mm. So I was always true to that. But the thing you learn, the more you captain, it's just like how important it is for me anyway to to have relationships with people. Mm. Um, and that's something when I started captaining, it was like um, I know that it's important. But the, the more I was in captaincy, I was like, man, this, this thing of captaincy is just about literally connecting with people. That's mm. all it is. Mm. Um whether you miss out on some other tricks of the trade, um, I, I wasn't too worried about too much worried about that. I was treating people with respect, making them feel valued, um, like they belong in the team. Mm. A big thing for me was treating young guys like guys who's played a lot of games. Mm. Just that respect that they walk into a team where they feel like, wow, this is a, quite a um, a welcoming space. You know, I don't have to do well before they accept me. I can just be me um something that has taken me a little bit longer than i perhaps would have liked maybe is the fact that every personality is so different Mm. and that you've just got to let that personality be like you can't similar with batting technique you can't try and have everyone in the team being like your way of thinking Mm -hmm. or your philosophy of like being a great person or being this or being that whatever that's just your 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 glasses or that you're wearing, your lens that you're seeing life. But for someone else, they don't necessarily see life like that. So to have this expectation on them to always live up to that is something that I figured out it doesn't happen in the way that you want it to. Mm. You know, for them it's not maybe as important to do that one thing that's important to Mm. you and that's okay. Like it's not really important at the end of the day. It's about for you to get the best out of someone else, you have to go down to their 
level to figure out what's important to them mm. and then connecting with them on that level. It's yeah. not the other way around. <laughs> and I think sometimes with, with titles, especially in the captain title, we all get that wrong. We're mm. like, I'm the captain of the team. Um, he needs to come to the party. He needs to come to understand my style or my thinking. Mm. And it doesn't work like that. Not, not in, I don't think in today's era of, of leadership anyway. What's your thoughts? Uh, that is, it's brilliantly said. That's what it is. And I see, and I, I know like the best coaches that I've had and the best captains that I've had are the ones who you're right, absolutely accept that everyone's different. They don't want everyone to be a prototype of what they believe is the right way to live or the right way to play or the right way to be. And you're not just in a, if you're not in this sort of like little, this box pigeonhole of the prototype sort of personality type that you, you're not. You're gone because I don't know how to get the best out of you. Yeah. Because most importantly, because I haven't connected with you on a personal level to be able to really understand what makes you tick. Exactly. Because everyone, everyone's different. That's a beauty of the world is that everyone's different. That's a beauty of being in a team is that everyone's different. And that's what makes the world go round. That's the exciting thing. You get to meet so many different people. But like the coaches that I've had and the captains that I've had who don't understand that and haven't been able to connect, haven't had those social skills to be able to really connect or whether they have the social skills, whether they um, haven't wanted or haven't spent the time to be able to really connect one-on-one with the players, yeah. that's when they've got it wrong and they've never really they, – they don't know how to be able to bring the best out of someone, which is going to be different potentially – every person in your team. Yeah. There might be three or four that are similar, sort of similarly built, so you can sort of bring those along because you know where they're at. There might be a couple of um, outliers in a way, which are incredibly talented cricketers, but just different things sort of push their buttons to get the best out of them. So um, that's the thing for me personally that I found, like Ricky Ponting did incredibly well. Shane Warne did incredibly well when he captained um, me at the Rajasthan Royals and the way he's able to connect with, like, a person who's just starting, who's just come into right. the into the Rajasthan Royal squad, um, to then yeah you know, the the boss. He just knew how to be able to connect all the way through you know the layers of a of a of a franchise and of, of a cricket squad. Yeah, that's amazing because you think of someone like Shane Warne and you would on the outside anyway. Mm. I mean, it's hugely unfair, um, like something to say over him. But I'm saying from the outside, you would think that this great, great, great of the game, this huge personality, this ego, would expect the other way. You'd expect like people to, no, I'm Shane Warne. You've got to buy into what I say and I think. I, I would have never thought that. That's, so it's really incre- incredibly interesting that you say he's got the ability to to connect with the guys at the bottom yeah. as well. The top, I think, would be very easy, but the yeah. guys at the bottom, like where he has to actually go down towards that level yeah. of not – this and to come down that's that's very fascinating mm. wow i didn't think that yeah and he of course he expected someone to like everyone to have a f- crack if you if you weren't really putting in in a game oh yeah he, he would not allow that to happen yeah yeah <laughs> but when it came to be able to really understand what you know what got the best what was the right position for this person what was the right way to be able to communicate with them my reaction how important not reacting to a guy was on the field he was he was super aware of that. Um, so that's, you know, and and the coaches, that's why some like Stephen Fleming is someone who really stands out to me from a coaching perspective is, and coaching's a leadership perspective, is the ones who are able to really understand how an individual is and realise everyone is different and to be able to connect with them. Um, and that's something that 
like honestly, I didn't really appreciate until the last probably few years how important that is. So for you to be able to be aware of that <laughs> while you're going through, you know, the the process as a, as a leader as you were, that's incredibly powerful because a lot of people, I know me, I wasn't aware of that enough to really really understand how powerful how powerful that is. Yeah, yeah. No, I, but I think the nice thing with it relates to it's but if you can, and and it's a journey that I was on a personal level that got me to understanding that a lot possibly a little bit earlier was you know how can i be a better husband how can i be Mm. a better father or how can i be a better friend how can i be a better teammate how can i be a better captain and once you start what i find once you start investing into that like putting time into growing outside your skill of cricket Mm. your batting your bowling your fielding and you actually put a time on on the type of person that you are then you're Everything just starts, the lights just go on. Mm. You go like, that's what I want to go, that's what I want to read, that's what I want to listen to, mm. that's the kind of personalities I want to be close to, this is the kind of friendships I want to have, this is the kind of people I want to have in my life, this mm. is the kind of people I don't want in my life. <laughs> you know, so mm. I think that I was lucky that I was interested in that rather earlier than later because mm. it helped me, yeah, once again, be true to the kind of person that I would like to be. Mm. But it was also really good for my leadership, I think, mm. because – I was switched on towards what I think is important. It's just for, for us to connect. Yeah, exactly. Instead of just going, this is how it is. If you guys don't perform today, yeah. you might get picked. In the next and the, the, the tough thing about captaincy, it is lonely at times as well mm. because you have to make decisions that is tough, mm. that you know people won't necessarily enjoy because you know they might not be playing. And But as long as you're making decisions that are – anyway, for me, if you're making decisions that are in the best interest of the team – uh, the culture or the whatever you're trying to build, then you can you can put your head down on your pillow at night and you can go, you know what, I was true to my beliefs, um, my values, the team, whatever, and then it's okay. But there's some real tough tough stuff that I had to deal with, um, which is not nice. Mm. Um, but that's part of being a leader, I suppose. You know, it's not it's not supposed to be doomed. Uh, it's not all cupcake and roses. cupcakes and rainbows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's some tough things. So yeah. Yeah, but that's I, I. I really enjoyed captaincy. I loved it. I loved um, captaining South Africa, um, and it was obviously similar in Australia. It's a huge honour mm. to to be a captain of your cricket team, and I and I find that that's me at my best. You mm. know, that's where I where I wake up in the morning, and I can be the best version of myself because I I had purpose in that. Mm. You know, I, I I thought of myself as a good cricketer, um, but it's really captaincy that brought that special um, shine or whatever in your eye that really mm. just makes you okay the easiness true element mm. so I really enjoyed it and it was a tough tough thing to give up that's so so close to your heart and every day that you live it for the last six years or mm. so but I just felt like it was the right time to do it for more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats Head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.